Our reading is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 to 31, and I'm reading from the message translation. God spoke, swarm ocean with fish and all sea life. Birds fly through the sky over earth. God created the huge whales, all the swarm of life in the waters, and every kind and species of flying birds. God saw that it was good. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill the ocean. Birds, reproduce on earth. It was evening, it was morning, day five. God spoke, earth, generate life, every sort and kind, cattle and reptiles and wild animals, all kinds. And there it was, wild animals of every kind, cattle of all kinds, every sort of reptile and bug. God saw that it was good. God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Then God said, I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food. To all animals and birds, everything that moves and breathes, I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. God looked over everything he had made. It was good, so very good. It was evening, it was morning, day six. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a wonderful, wonderful day to be reflecting on the nature of God's creation. To be able to think about the, the things that are beyond ourselves and look at the way in which God has placed us in a world that is so full of that which reflects his nature. And today we're going to be thinking about uh, the nature of creation in the light of my very favorite flower which you won't be surprised to know, is a daffodil. But I'm not going to say anything about whales <laughs> at all. But I do want to say about the nature of creation that speaks of God and the nature of creation that speaks to God. So my sermon has two very clear halves. First, thinking about that which speaks of God, secondly, that which speaks to God. So, 
First of all, just thinking about the words in Romans 1 verse 20, where St. Paul writes, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made. So the daffodil has a great symbolic uh, power for me in that uh, this St. David's Day, I was looking at the daffodils and it struck me for the first time that a daffodil has this wonderful trumpet going out of, from its, its head. And I thought, yeah, that's how God is in so many ways. He trumpets forth his word. It proclaims his presence in the world. It proclaims his message of love for the world. And it proclaims a call, the invitation to follow his son Jesus in every part of our lives. And if we look at creation around us, there are things that we can see that will remind us and maybe inspire us to think of the nature of God. Jesus himself drew on many things in the natural world to illustrate and make more memorable the truths he taught about God and how life could be with God, how his kingdom can be lived out. The kingdom meaning what life is like when God is in charge. He took of soil and seeds and fields ready for harvest, birds of the air, flowers of the field, vine and branches. He even took bread and poured out wine to speak of himself and his poured out blood and broken body for what St. John describes as the demonstration of the full extent of his love for the world. Now, Celtic Christians, not just in Wales, but always look out for signs of God's presence in creation. I just want to quote from St. Columba, who, as you know, came from Ireland over to Scotland, his coracle, and was recorded as standing on the high cliffs overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. And an image that I took when I was in Pembrokeshire uh, does recall these, this particular site that... Uh, he will have had. Ringing in his ears were the words of Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. And as he looked out on creation in this way, he was inspired to write one of his many poems. I just want to quote from one of them. Delightful it is to stand on the peak of a rock in the bosom of the isle, gazing on the face of the sea. I hear the heaving waves chanting a tune to God in heaven. I see their glittering surf. I see the golden beaches, their sands sparkling. I hear the joyous shrieks of the swooping gulls. I hear the waves breaking, crashing on rocks like thunder in heaven. I see the mighty whales. That is W-H-A-L-E-S. I watch the ebb and flow of the ocean tide. I hold my secret, a mournful flight from air. Contrition fills my heart as I hear the sea. It chants my sins, sins too numerous to confess. Let me bless almighty God, whose power extends over sea and land, whose angels watch over 
it all. I'm sure you can identify with that. It's just incredible. When I look at the sea, it's not just that I see those waves just chanting for my many sins, but I also see the undertow taking the sin away. And I think of the incredible rhythm that is there day after day, night after night, year after year, century after century. And there's something that speaks of the eternal as we ponder the landscape that is our gift from God. Celtic spirituality, therefore, is a creation-affirming spirituality. And the Celtic crosses that we have right across our country, and indeed in our own churchyard, have often carvings of things that have the things of God woven into them. This particular cross is right here in our churchyard, taken in the winter a couple of years ago. And you can see how there are flowers carved into the cross, speaking of God's creation in that place of redemption, the symbol of God's redeeming work through Christ, not only redeeming and saving humankind, but also the whole of creation. The cross is a reminder also that we are living in a fallen world because if it wasn't a fallen world, then we wouldn't have a need for the cross. It's a world where human greed and self-gratification have resulted in the destruction of life, of land, seas, the air, and now threatens the very ecosystem upon which the sustainability of all life depends. And it seems that we are, in this country, at last beginning to hear and enter into the groan of creation that St. Paul speaks of in Romans There are signs that we are beginning to hear that ourselves. I was interested to see the adverts for uh, for the Blue Planet series that's starting tonight at 8 o'clock. And the strap line around that says, Our planet matters. Have you seen that? Our planet matters. We've moved from being interested and fascinated by the world in which we live, how amazing it is, to it really matters. There is a growing awareness in the human heart that again speaks of God's compassion for his world, that he's placed in our hearts this longing that things might be different, that as we act individually and collectively, we're responding to God's spirit within us to care for his creation with the same love that he has for it too. You may be during Lent, using the uh, Count Your Blessings publication that's there, published by Christian Aid, with simple things to do to make a difference. You may be a person who's gathering together your plastic bags to bring to church so that we can recycle those bits of plastic that so easily just get thrown away. You may be inspired by the likes of Greta Thornburg, whose stand for climate change has led to those climate strikes right across the nations, where young people, children who have that heart for God and for his world, are making a difference because they see it's a crisis. 
and not just something we need to be aware of. So creation speaks of God. It speaks of his heart, but it also speaks of his wonder. For the world is indeed charged with the grandeur of God, as Gerard Manley Hopkins described it. And the challenge for us is that we keep our eyes and ears open and we pray, God, help me to see, help me to hear, help me to act in a way that is in line with your will and purposes for your world. So secondly, creation also speaks of God. And it speaks now to God. We've seen how creation speaks of God. We're thinking now how creation speaks to God. And let me go back to uh, my favorite flower. Trumpeting not only the gospel and God's heart for the world, but it's trumpeting on our behalf praises to God and prayers to God. It's saying this is what our response is as part of God's creation. And the daffodil in itself, just by being what it is, is reflecting the glory of God and is in some way you can't begin to imagine giving praise to God. Psalm 98. Shout for joy all the earth. Shout to the Lord. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp, with a harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. That's the call to all the earth, not just the human beings. All the earth. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This judging of God comes to not to condemn, but to restore, to make things right and whole and healed once more. This psalm conjures up an evocative image of people and nature joining together in joy, in joy-filled praise to God. I love the translation that Adam read from. Uh, it had that poetry in it and that power to communicate what is essentially a poem. The first chapters of Genesis is sheer Hebrew poetry. It doesn't try to say how creation happened. It wants to describe the God who is behind creation. Science describes how creation and evolution takes place. But it's God who is the spark, the life, the word that is behind everything that is living. And in that book of beginnings, we hear how God not only created the life of the earth, but also humanity made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, filled with the life-giving breath of God. And the message that the writer is seeking to convey is that every person, every person in the world is so precious to God. The essence of God's nature is there in every man, woman, and child. However we think of them, God thinks they are amazing people because he sees something of himself and his nature for the Father, Son, and Spirit reflected in them. 
It's a relationship, that Holy Trinity, let us make them in our image, not just my image, in our image, the Father, Son, and Spirit, because it's relationship that is being spoken about, which is the essence of love. You can't have love without relationship, so at the heart of God is relationship. And therefore, our call is to enter into relationship with God and into relationship with one another. And the cross happens to be shaped vertically and horizontally to illustrate that very thing, that very truth. Augustine brought the gospel to England after the Celtic church did. And he said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. And that's why so many people describe discovering the love of God for themselves as like coming home, coming home. You'll hear Rob Williams speaking about that later in April when he speaks against all the odds. He found that the God who he had forgotten completely and ignored and run away from called him home, called him into relationship with himself. And he defied the odds. God defied the odds and wrought in him a new beginning, a new springtime in his soul. So it's in this relationship that worship becomes a natural expression of all that is within. That everything within me praise the Lord, says the psalmist. And as we grow in that relationship, we discover speaking to him becomes more natural. Being open with him becomes less scary. Crying out to him as we feel the pain of suffering of others is somehow the expression of that deep cry of God within our heart. And his compassion within each of us is poured out when we respond to those who are going through such terrible things in New Zealand or South Africa. We're not alive if we don't feel that pain. But that pain is God's heart in us because we're created in his image. So let me conclude just by going back to the cross and recognizing that it's Christ's saving death and his glorious resurrection through which all things in heaven and on earth will be made new. Changing from the winter of our souls to the springtime of life. And as we've thought about the beginnings of things, so let's just finish by thinking about the end of all things. In the book of Revelation, St. John, the Apostle is caught up with this great vision of what just might be the end, which is a new beginning. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new.
So we're going to spend a few moments uh, ourselves being still, and we're going to respond as God leads us by entering into the images and lyrics of a song which Anita found, which I found incredibly moving. It's on YouTube. And we can look beyond ourselves and our small world to the vastness of creation that speaks of God and speaks to God. Let's worship.